1: only on PBS.
4: my name is dave hanreddy and there will be no encore welcome to episode 260 of the no encore music podcast craig fitzpatrick what's going on man
0: what's up man how are you sound like you've a lot of energy this week almost am also have three bars of battery propelling you through the show
4: it's true i have three bars of battery on my recorder and no backup batteries so let's hope that this does not uh turn into some kind of disaster Another week
0: of battery jeopardy it's pretty good, right? Um, and you can
4: and you can hear more about my my perilous relationship with my Zoom recorder uh, on patreoncom noencore, the second episode of no oxcore is out right Lovely. now. We recorded it <laughs> Give last <us> weekend. Money. <laughs> <laughs> help me buy some batteries, a fiver should do it. Patreon.com slash noencore for bonus episodes of the show, playlists, episode previews, and our love. Like I say, there's a new episode of No Oxcore out now. It's our monthly recommends corner. We recorded it at the weekend. It was a lot of fun. Dropped on Monday. Go check it out. Uh, As for this week, though, of course, this is a music podcast on the Heads of Podcast Network. We have a top five this week. Our top five centers around band songs. That's B-A-N-N-E-D. Not to be confused with people who (laughs) make make music together as a collective which we will be talking That's about next because week, isn't it yeah <laughs> band Top songs five our songs favorite made songs by a band. from bands yeah yeah, no, we're talking like controversial things that radio or television, were like, nah, not for me, mate. And as for our album review this week, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, surprise, dropped a new record last week by the name of Carnage. We will be talking all about that, but there's so much more to talk about. I guess before we get going, feeding back to our last album review, Mogwai, As The Love Continues, congratulations to Mogwai. They got their number one in the end, great, their UK number one. Yeah, but at one. what cost? They campaigned. <laughs> yeah. At what cost?
0: What's it cost to <laughs> Chilling you Thanos? out to Ricky Gervais, just tweeting left, right and centre. Come on, lads. I'm happy for you, but. It's a win. It was nice. It's definitely a a win. It was nice seeing, you know, the likes of Eamon Sweeney just so ebullient and joyful about the news. And it meant a lot to a lot of people. I didn't quite realise the impact it, it
4: would have. Yeah, there's a proper cult following for this band, I guess, and it's a big deal. And you can get into the weeds about like, oh well how, how many sales does it really mean anymore to whatever. Well, I've got but the it's figures,
0: a, Dave, and I'm gonna take you through the spreadsheet right now. <laughs> so actually, I think it was
4: <laughs> yeah. I think it was north of ten thousand or something. So it like obviously like the charts are not what they used to be, mate, you know? And again in our news section we'll be talking about that as well. But like I think ultimately it's it, it was a win for the good guys, you know? And long may it last. I did for say sure. I, I I I did note I, I have to laugh at them. Um, Maximo Park put out a record last week, which we won't be reviewing, but their frontman on Twitter the night before put out a tweet and he said, um, just a reminder that tomorrow our seventh album and fifth return to form is out. <laughs> I was like, that's very, very good. very good. Good
0: stuff. Very good. He's always been okay. quite a good lyricist in fairness to him. Like, you get some of that weight yeah. into the lyrics. So, you know,
4: Maximo Park. Okay, band. All right. Good guys, I guess. Good stuff. Well, you yeah. know, yeah, like that's, that's a lot of UK music talk, isn't it? Let's bring it back home, man, to the Emerald Isle to ireland and of course the choice music prize for this year which took place but hours before the show and uh during the day strange enough you know no live show this is the part where we'd normally be doing this show and getting ready to go to vicar street afterwards and have a big industry piss up which is not happening because it wouldn't be safe to do so but it's done it's dusted it's in the books and here's how it all went down
2: okay adam well listen We're all waiting to see who the winner this year is. So please reveal who is the winner of the RTE Choice Music Prize Album of the Year for 2020, please. Okay, the winner of the RTE Choice Music Prize in association with Imro and Irma is Denise Chyler for her album Go Bravely. Thank you so much, Adam Clayton. Denise Chyla's album, Go Bravely, is this year's RT Choice Music Prize Album of the Year. And we're going to go and try and link in with Denise right now. Adam Clayton, thank you so much. Thank you, Tracy, and congratulations, Denise. This is brilliant. Great, great album. Thank you, Adam. Bye.
4: Bye. 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 That was Adam Clayton uh, looking like a velvet Santa Claus. Like God. He he looked like God. He He looked looked like like
0: (laughs) the last thing you see before you die or the last (laughs) thing you see before you win the choice prize if you're Denise Chyla.
4: Yeah, apparently so. That was Tracy Clifford in conversation as well. It was Tracy who hosted the show. It was a three hour event on the radio and the RTE player. Lots of live performances, a big rundown. Uh, I guess they did the best that they possibly could. We can get into that as well. But the most important thing is to say congratulations to Denise Chyla, to Murley, to God knows, to all at Narrow Lane Records, the victory for Go Bravely. And uh, to make this an extra special occasion, number one, I'm just going to, you know, hang on. There we go. Just gonna get a, get get myself a a can, not of oh, green tea this time. Cool. I'll
0: add to the atmosphere with um, some popping bubbles from my sparkling water. If you can pick that up, hopefully Adam good is good stuff. Good Lovely. stuff.
4: But uh, this is an extra special one because we're welcoming back onto the show, Craig, a contributor who we haven't had on for quite some time. She is the co-host of the 909 Music Podcast. She is a writer for lots of different publications and she's an ethnomusicologist (laughs) and a (laughs) (laughs) self-proclaimed... I'll never let it go. And a self-proclaimed Denise Chyla Scholar, Ireland's most foremost (laughs) Denise Chyla Scholar. It is, of course, Andrea Cleary. Welcome back to the show.
2: Hey. Hi, I can't believe you did the ethnomusicologist thing that actually made me laugh a lot there. Thank you for that. Hi, guys. Happy choice.
4: Yeah, I know. uh, Kind of a weird choice. It's a weird one, yeah. It's a weird time, and ultimately, it's a good time. It's a celebratory time, but I, like I don't know. It was a strange. It was a strange event this year. Um, how did you find it, Andrea? From purely from the perspective as well, because like you were a judge last year, so much different circumstances this time around. How did you find it from a presentation point of view? Before we even get into the kind of the winners and and everyone else.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I actually I think like you alluded to there in in your intro, they did the very best they could um, minus one. I think, major glaring error, which was to have it on during the day, which I think was a huge mistake. Um, I, I if, if they had it on at night, I really think that everybody in Ireland would have just made a night out of it um, and it would have been a great time. But look, they didn't and it was fine and there's probably many complicated financial reasons why they didn't do that um but they yeah I, I I, thought it was brilliant I thought the performances were all excellent uh which is to be expected from a list like this um yeah overall very good I I tuned into it expecting to tune in and out while working and I ended up just watching the full three hours so that's um that's as high a praise I can give you know <laughs>
4: Yeah, that was pretty much the same for me as well. I was kind of like, oh, throw it on in a curiosity and it kept my attention. Like I say, I think mm-hmm. Trace Clifford did a very good job. I think it was fairly well presented in terms of if your RT player wasn't crashing or showing you ads that you can't not look at it for every five seconds, mm-hmm. it, it, it was, you know, probably the best they could do. I agree with you. I mean, like, it was, it's interesting to see, like, it kind of go down on social media because, you know, the, the type of people that you follow in the Irish music industry were, of course, tuned in and there was some reaction to it, but it did feel kind of, not that many, you Subjude. know, I think it would be a lot different. Yeah, subdued, I think, is the right word for mm-hmm. it. I think if it was happening on, say, Tara Stewart's show in the evening, you'd have a bit more about it. Uh Craig, I wish you it was working. Yeah, I was working, so I missed
0: of all of it. I saw like some of the Twitter commentary around it, that's how I was following it, but I didn't I didn't really catch any of it, which was a real shame. And yeah, yeah. Like, afternoon event, like it does scream, you know, something held for accountants in a business suite in an airport hotel or something. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'm sure there was the logistical reasons. It's just immense. I missed out on it and I'm sure plenty of other people did.
2: I hope that people who um, don't usually pay attention to the choice every year um who might have just been happened to have been tuning into 2FM today I hope they don't think that the choice is just something that happens in the afternoon in the daytime like it's because the choice for us is is, it's such a huge moment in the year like it's it's our Christmas party it's when we all get together and we celebrate everything that everyone has done and uh, for, for it to kind of feel like a yeah, like a bit of a ribbon cutting moment outside of a hotel or something. I don't know, that that part of it didn't sit right with me at uh, the time slot. But in terms of how it was presented and everything, I thought it was it was really slick and really... Yeah, it's, it's worth going back and watching it, Craig, definitely.
4: Yeah, it's on the dreaded RT player for the next five days. If you didn't see it, go on and check it out there. I should say, Dre's right. I mean, like, you need that kind of level of ceremony. The Choice Prize ceremony itself needs me Irish good-buying the place at about 2am, you <laughs> know, just disappearing into the night. Uh, but look, listen, let's not stand on ceremony for much longer. We'll talk about the real headline here. Niall Horan won Song of the Year for No <laughs> Judgment, which, of course, huge massive congratulations to him. Uh, I think that does a bit for... Thanks very much, Andrea, for coming in and chatting to us this week. Thank That's, you. Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: And can I just say congratulations to Niall. Uh, Westlife Were certainly a tough, tough act to follow from last year, and of course picture this the year before, so it's it really is a long line oh, boy, of incredible Irish men making incredible Irish music.
4: Well, can I just say, you, seeing as you brought them up real quick, and we'll get to Denise Child very, very quickly, but real quick, I, you know, classic Dave Hanrity <laughs> snarky tweet. Uh, I may have They opened up the broadcast by playing One Drink by Picture This, right? So I put up a tweet and I just said, uh, Choice Coverage kicking off at One Drink there. Uh, Unquestionably the champion of Irish music, like songs for the last 10 years, perhaps of all time. And that was my entire tweet, right? Smash cut to about 20 minutes later, the singer from Picture This, Ryan Hennessy, comes along. Doesn't follow me, by the way, and said... You are obsessed with me. Now, listen, I'll say this. Man has a point. I did go Selling. see them five nights in a row. And you yeah, are obsessed hard. with him in particular. <laughs> fair <laughs> There and is so. the, you know, question of the shrine in your room to him.
0: You,
2: you can
4: see it, I think, the if have worked dolls. very hard yeah. on it. Yeah, it's the so, complex I mean, like, relationship. Like, like, he's got a fair argument. You know, it's tough to kind of back down. Uh, but I should Dave, state. He, he was
2: fully within his rights. Like, he was absolutely I, within it, his it, rights.
4: In <laughs> my defense, if I can just say now, you'll note that my tweet did not include any tags, didn't include the words "picture" or "this." That guy vanity searched one of his own song titles to come after me. Now that takes some oh, doing. Hold on. So I can
0: I can maybe defend him. Should I?
4: <laughs> As yeah, please. Co-host. Someone has to. He's not here. So.
0: No, because quite brilliantly, some picture this fans took you at face value and were like, "Yeah, yeah agree, or whatever," which is class. What a banger! So I'm, sure, so I'm just thinking maybe you had likes from picture this fans that he might follow back, and he saw it in his timeline. Otherwise, it's desperately sad of him. <laughs>
4: well, I should note. I mean, ultimately, the reason. Really <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like, who's the real sad person here? Probably me. I should <laughs> no, say really? that I genuinely don't have any major issue with the guy. One drink is a bit of a bop. And if I could go to five <laughs> nights, I'll picture this right now in this current landscape. Oh my God, I would do it. But look, I don't want to talk too much about that. It's all over, Ryan. Welcome on the show anytime, man. Much like Josh McClory coming on I'm to I'm going to have to shut us. that down. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. Josh, yes. Okay, okay. But- <laughs> Okay, no more uh, no more dancing around. Let's talk about the real headline story here. Denise Chyla winning the Choice Music Prize for Album of the Year. Let's hear how she reacted to that moment. Denise
2: Chyla, you are this yeah! year's winner. <laughs> you have just won the RTE Choice Music Prize Album of the Year. Oh my days! How are you? Are you okay? Congratulations.
3: <laughs> I'm not okay. <laughs>
2: I don't know what's happening, oh my goodness. You said this album was wow. an affirmation of love and hope and insecurity. It's called Go Bravely, and you've just won the Ortea Choice Music Prize Album of the Year. If you can sum up something right now, how do you
4: feel? I feel like the entire year was kind of worth it, man. Like This has been a really, really difficult year for me for so many reasons, and I never anticipated as a musician, having to deal with, like,
0: race or gender or all these things the way I had to. And I was always, like, so frustrated
4: with the idea that I couldn't just be a person, you know, and, like, have my personality. And 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 my goodness. So, yeah, I mean, like, I feel bad even cutting off any of Denise's speech there, but there's only so much audio I can pilfer from RT before they get mad at me. <laughs> so we'll, we'll press on. Go Bravely, the winner of the Choice Music Prize. Like I say, congratulations to all involved. Denise clearly absolutely delighted with the decision. And, you know, I guess we can get into the whole mixtape thing for a second real quick, because, you know, this project was very, very specifically by the artist, like, labelled a mixtape, declared as a mixtape, not a debut album. Nonetheless, it appears on the choice nominations list, and it wins. So I wonder... If we're going to get into a very pedantic and boring argument, I personally don't really mind either way. And I don't think anybody really should. Um, I will say that like my kind of stance on this project winning the Choice Prize, I said it a while ago, probably on the show. And I know I said it on Tell the Irish on 98 FM with John Barker. I do think that right now the Choice Prize needs Denise Chile more than Denise Chile needs the Choice Prize. And I do think that this is a case of, um, an incredible star making year and an incredible individual, an incredible personality. Triumphing, and I wonder if it triumphs over the art itself. I wonder if, not to diminish Go Bravely, but I just wonder if Go Bravely is almost like the secondary story here. If the real story is Denise Chyla, and if that's where we're kind of going with what the Choice Prize is—a like a prize that kind of builds itself as focusing on the album and not necessarily the surrounding contextual elements. Andrea, as someone who has interviewed Denise as well and written a lot about her in the past year, you know you've been glued to this ascent and this rise. Is this the right? Verdict does that even is that even how we should be looking at the situation?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, in a in a year where these are the 10 albums, you could make a case that any of them were the right verdict, you know. Um and I think Denise as much as anybody else deserved it. Um and like i go go bravely absolutely i mean right so, so to to get into the mixtape thing for a minute like i mean i i feel like a lot of people are quite hung up on this idea of it being a mixtape and whether or not it should or shouldn't have been allowed i completely agree with you i'm totally fine with it being allowed because to me there's enough sort of narrative ideas uh Within the album that, or within the within the project that that kind of holds it together. Like m- when we talk about albums and we talk about these kind of long plays that were that we're ju- judging uh, in in certain ways that you don't judge an EP or a different collection of songs. You're looking for those threads that bind things together, and this is a collection that deals with as she said in her speech there she's dealing with race, she's dealing with gender she's dealing with history, she's dealing with national identity and she's confronting different uh, perspectives and narratives within herself in every song and so if if you're looking for the through line that kind of binds all of these songs together it's there for you to take so I think that that's, that's probably fair and look Denise Child is the biggest artist of in Ireland right now she made an absolutely Outstanding record, a record that we couldn't have even envisioned in this country five years ago from an artist, uh, with, with the star power that Denise has. I think, I think it was absolutely the right decision. Um, and, 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 you know, when, when, when she's speaking, it's, it's such a, it's such a typical Denise Chyla thing. <laughs> You'll tell her she's, she's won the choice music prize. She'll be speechless for about four or five seconds and then she'll just start talking and just all of this, like, beautiful, philosophical, articulate ideas just like spur out of her. She's a poet. And I think that what she's made is is a thing of poetry and it absolutely deserves it.
4: Yeah. I mean, I should say like, as far as the judging goes, like I wasn't in the room, you know, you were there last year, Craig has had a year where he was in there, I was in there as well. I think sometimes people do vote for the story. I understand the attraction of that. Mm. And I am someone who like, you know, on the show has been very kind of clear about how I, it's a bit of a bugbear for me, and I'm beginning to wonder if I am looking at it the wrong way. If, like, you need to account everything, if you need to take into account, like, all of the outsider elements to an, uh, like an album as well. I mean, should the choice itself kind of maybe revamp itself and kind of look at its own parameters? Um, and I do think as well, and while I'm sure that this wasn't, you know, the, like, the deciding reason or maybe even a reason at all, I do think that, like, one way or another, Given the, like, horrible kind of scenes that we saw in the city centre capital at the weekend, and, you know, the rise of horrible fucking racism in this country, and the horrible racism that Denise and Merle and God knows have to deal with uh, on a regular basis from absolute cretins, I think it's an amazing riposte and a great statement, you know, to be able to, for the national broadcaster of this country to hold up an artist like that, like, like of Denise Chyla and say, this is the best that we have to offer. Yeah. She's going nowhere. The only place she's going is to the top. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. And like I say, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't a direct factor into this decision making process or anything. But at the same time, I think it's something that you can kind of say, absolutely. Like, like this is a time to celebrate um the narrow lane guys and and Denise as well. So I will say that uh, Jim Carroll, who was the head of the judging committee, of course, on Twitter, did take some people through behind the scenes a little bit. He said, like everything else since last year's Choice Prize, the judging was all done over Zoom. Instead of putting 11 people in a room, locking the door and waiting for a decision, the voting was done via Zoom chat direct messages. Electronic voting works. Massive thanks to all involved. They did a massive job from the time that they agreed to be the judges right through to the conversation on Wednesday night. Any of the 10 albums in the shortlist could have won and there were strong, strident and striking arguments made for all of them, but there could only be one winner and that was Denise Chila. We'll do it again next year. Craig Fitzpatrick, what is your reaction, particularly as well as a former judge? I
0: mean, it's definitely a mixed tape and I think it's invalid. Um, no, I'm, I'm more than happy for for this record to win. It's, it's you know, whatever labels you want to put on it, it's, it's a really good, long playing piece of work. Um, and, you know, to your point of... Does the Choice Music Prize need her more than she needs it? I mean, the Choice Music Prize isn't sentient, but I take your point of, like, people trying to bring in that narrative of, like, okay, it feels like we should honour this amazing moment. Um... And I don't know how you revamp the kind of system to account for that or change that. I think the Choice Music Prize works and I think that's probably a contrarian point of view um, mm. because people love to have a good o about it every year. But it's just like, if you think it's not working, it's because you disagree with the critics that are in the room at the given time and people will always have their biases. They will always factor in the kind of conversation around stuff. Um, kind of reviews don't exist in a bubble. I mean, the year I did it, I did in my head, try to factor out all of that and go, okay, what is the most accomplished piece of work? Um, do I think this album is the most accomplished piece of work? I'm not sure it is from an album point of view. I mean, ironically enough, like my favourite track might be Holy Grail and I feel like that kind of fried production style where it's almost like it's just kind of like ready-made and here's something I've been working on shows that it's not really that pristine and accomplished production that some of the other albums are going for. It is like a type vibe to me and it's got, you know, an illustrious kind of history, the mixtape. It'll be interesting to see if her next album is kind of billed as the first album after her winning album of the year which would be kind of great i hope she does um but yeah she feels like the the right winner i think and yeah particularly at a time when she's having to ask orty not to tag her in stuff because of the abuse she's going to get i think this is a huge win for irish music the country at large and most importantly denise Chyla.
4: Yeah, uh, Dre, I mean, again, as someone who has kind of written so much better in the last year, talked so much better on, on the Nile Nine podcast and interviewed her as well, we, we have as well. I should also encourage listeners at this point to go back and check out the track by track with Denise and Murley that we did for Go Bravely if you want to do a deep dive on that. I know that you and Niall did a huge epic conversation with Denise Murley and God knows last year as well. So, like, if you're if you're looking for Denise Charlotte content, check it all out on, on, on both this podcast and the Nile Nine one as well. But, Dre, I mean, like, you know, obviously, look, you're a huge fan. Sometimes we just can't be objective. I know you were cheering her on today and you were very, very happy when she won. But for people who may have never heard of her, you make the point that like daytime radio people might be tuning in for the first time and Mm. being like, I've never heard of this person. She's just won this major prize. Uh, What does Denise Tyler represent to you? I mean, like, what is it about her that gets you so excited when it comes to... You know the music that she makes and the person that she is, and in terms of winning this award, where can she go from here? I know that's a very vague and broad question that we always ask, but that's kind of what I was getting at with Craig when he rightly did explain to yes, like, much like uh, COVID 19, it isn't sentient, it doesn't necessarily love to party the choice <laughs> prize. But, but what I would wonder is that, oh, it
0: loves to party,
4: <laughs> it does love <laughs> to party, <laughs> not tonight though, sadly. But what, like, like, what I wonder though is that, like, my kind of argument there is that the choice prize is something that I kind of feel like should have a knock on effect, there should be almost like a 12 month campaign around it or something with the artists going off and you know around the world which can not happen right now but um i I, yeah i just wonder where she goes from here like i mean like it's obviously a huge win and it's great but I, i again i stand like i don't think that she necessarily needed it so i don't know what do you think
2: so i think i guess with denise winning it is. It's undeniably a moment. We we all feel that this is a moment and it's a moment for her. It's a moment for what she represents in the face of the adversity and vitriol that's been kind of targeted at her online. It's a moment politically in this country. You, you, you alluded to um, the alt-right protests and you know we've been feeling this this swell of of um alt-right voices rise up and a lot of them have chosen Denise Chaila as their as their target and I think all of these things all of the things that makes makes this a moment and makes this a statement can't be ignored but they also don't detract from what a good album it is do you know what I mean so I think if if, if, if we were to look at kind of where Denise Tyler is is going to go from here I think as as a music press we all have a responsibility to handle her carefully from now on she is about to get a lot of press in this country and it's 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 up to us and it's up to her fans to protect her from the backlash that's going to come uh, with this press and I I think that's so it's such a it's part of the reason why Denise winning is such a moment. Is is the the dark side of that as well? Uh, is that she 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 shouldn't have to exist and create music and win this prize um, as a as a face of a movement or as anything else? Uh, but she has done, um, and so I think yeah. Going forward, we all just need to be really careful and uh, protect her. And if we see stuff online we need to report it and just wanted to kind of get that out of the way but in terms of Denise as an artist you know like so this like there's no stopping her the the, the guys have a have a song out tomorrow water it's absolute banger it's unbelievable as an artist this this is just it, it's it's like any choice music winner people people are going to pay attention to oh who's who, who's won the irish version of the mercury now people in in, in kind of odd other areas of the world and it's not as if they don't know denise already so it's it's just going to be another tick in a long line of uh of wins for her um yeah
4: okay lastly um is it time to do away with song of the year Does that matter? Yes. (laughs) Go on, Craig. It's an embarrassment. Just because, like, by association,
0: I feel like it detracts from the prestige of album of the year because it's never... Oh, it's just been horrendous since its inception. I understand why it's there. Pragmatically, it's to draw kind of eyes and clicks to it, but just, no, no, no.
2: I I don't think we should do away with song of the year. I think that if Irish music, if Irish radio stations, if Irish commercial radio stations played a better, broader... Range of music, then we wouldn't have the same winners every year because people would actually be hearing different songs to Nile, Horror, and Picture This and Westlife. <laughs> oh, and you're thinking is, bigger. You're, you're calling I'm, for a full-on I'm revolution. Coming oh, this, like, I'm coming at this systemically. I'm 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 attacking from the top nice. here. I'm I'm coming for you. There's a reason why Song of the Year is such garbage Me? every oh, year just people no not you Craig <laughs> you're part of the revolution <laughs> although if you're not part of the solution you're part of the problem oh good um, oh, look, that's so, true so, song of the year is just a silly way for 2FM to make a few bob on texting money isn't it is, is that not what it is already getting
0: our taxpayer money I'm
2: not I'm, <laughs> I'm <all> pleased <laughs>
4: All right, it's getting a bit too red hot now, so I'm going to pull the shutters down on this one. Uh, congratulations once again to Denise Charla and Murley, God knows. Uh should probably a- a- also throw in a shout for Sheena Madden, who ran an incredible PR campaign, and she was looking after Nilo, she's looking after Alva Reddy, uh, one of the hardest working uh, women in the industry and great to work with as well. As I say, yeah. we have a lengthy interview with Denise and Murley on this show. Go back and check it out in your feed. Check out the Non Podcast with Andrea. Andrea, hopefully we'll see you. Hopefully we'll all be together next year, this time in Vicar Street, where Uh. myself and Ryan Hennessy from Picture This will no doubt break bread over a pint. You know, it's going to be good times, good vibes, and we can hopefully celebrate Denise's win again there too as well. Dre, thanks so much for stopping by.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure.
4: Thanks once again to Andrea Cleary. Okay, yeah, so Craig, I guess before we move on, we could probably go briefly, am I right, through uh, some of the other artists that did not take home I was surprised I thought Pillow Queens were going to win yeah. I, I, well, I had it down on. Well, I had I,
0: it call, down a, I called it for Pillow Queens so you should have known they would not win it <laughs> I've cursed
4: them <laughs> well you can apologise profusely uh, directly to each member of the band I had it down to like like I figured it'd be like Pillow Queens all the way and then in the last few days I thought maybe Denise and maybe Roisin Murphy I can see like the kind of the narratives around them I still thought Pillow Queens would take it I wasn't necessarily shocked or surprised when Denise got it it was like yeah that like that makes sense um, but um. Um, yeah i mean like it's it's one of those ones isn't it and it felt it felt really weird today to be sitting here at that moment and not like standing over a balcony in vicar street with like six pints in my system yeah you're like waiting for a tweet it's just so odd yeah it's kind of strange um but yeah um i guess you know any other thoughts before we put this one to bed no no hopefully this time next year we're back at it
0: in person um because, yeah, the last one was such a good night and it's, it's really <laughs> bittersweet this year. Obviously, you know, massive uh, congrats to, to Denise. But, yeah, just all day I've been thinking, wow, it's, it's nearly exactly a year since the last huge shindig we all
4: had. And we did not know how the world was going to change. To be fair, I do think that Denise and God Knows and Murdy really are the kind of artists who will actually be able to take this kind of ball and run with it, even in the moment that we're having, because yes, like, yeah. they 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 put on such a kind of a showcase across the last 12 months. Pandemic be damned and they will continue in that regard. So like, it's kind of reminiscent. I remember seeing Rees and Ganna Family play on the main stage at Body and Soul years ago on one of the most rained out days of all time in front of about 20 people and it did not stop them at all. They just did what they do and just said, fuck it, let's keep, like, this is who we are, this is what we do doesn't matter if there's like almost nobody here like they they somehow managed to create an atmosphere and an event kind of feeling when there is no events on so you know it wouldn't surprise me if 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 this is somehow a boon to them somehow you know
0: well dave one man who has not been taking the current moment in his stride at all is van morrison oh no (laughs) what kind of (laughs) weeks he has his new albums on the way it's entitled (laughs) latest record project volume one it's out nice, made. Very and made. avant-garde. I love it. it. <laughs> it's his 42nd record, so I suppose at this point just all the good names are used up. Uh, you singled this out because the fun naming stuff doesn't stop at the album title. Uh, it's a long album, it's 28 tracks, and there's plenty of absolute doozies in the track listing.
4: Yeah, it's, his quote alone though is great too. He says, I'm getting away from the perceived same song, same albums all the time. This guy's done 500 songs, maybe more. So why do I keep promoting the same 10? I'm trying to get out of the box. So yeah, this is, of course, is a guy who recently released a song called No More Lockdown and has been very vocal in his opinions about the world and how things are at the moment. But uh, yeah, sample track list here for you on this one. Where have all the rebels gone? Tried to do the right thing. (laughs) Stop bitching, do something. Western Man, and now my favourite two, They Own the Media. And... A Van Morrison song in the year of our Lord 2021 by the name of Why Are You on Facebook? I don't know, Van, to organise a horrific rally, perhaps? Um, but it yeah, feels so- like
0: he's been on Facebook quite a bit,
4: doesn't <laughs> it? It feels like he's, he's.
0: been like, weaponized by Facebook, like every other kind of slightly right-wing, older person at this point. It's just like, I, can't, I can kind of believe it's Van. I mean, he's
4: always been, been a bit of a curmudgeon, but my God. Well, in fairness, Greg, you know, it's not just exclusive to right-wing and older people. Left-wing and younger people are also putting their foot in you know, it when it comes to the titling game. Uh, we talked uh, We talked recently, we talked every now and then on the show about Rostam. We're a fan of Rostam, oh, yeah. we like his work. I believe it was
0: um, No Oxcourt, our, our first edition for patrons. Uh, we had
4: a chat about his new single. Yes, we did. And you can get that at patreon.com <laughs> slash noencore. But uh, Rostam it has an album coming of his own in June, on the 4th of June, right? He put out a few singles so far, I've been enjoying them. The album is called Changephobia, which to me has all the hallmarks of like an angry white man's Netflix comedy special. Like, it's just change like, what the phobia? fuck? <laughs> I'm sure it's meant to be ironic. I'm sure it's a commentary, but Change Phobia? Come on, yeah, man.
0: I did. No. I did. It's really clunky. It doesn't quite work. I think it's more, Change Phobia is kind of all right, but the way it's like the spelling looks odd to me. It's one of those ones where when you spell it out, you're like, is that correct? I did I did then look up what the actual term for a fear of change is. I can't remember what it is, but it's long and unwieldy and I'm sure he looked it up and was like, can't use that. (laughs) Just gonna have to be change
4: phobia. Well, um, something that hasn't changed is the state of music festivals for Craig Fitzpatrick. It was confirmed this week that Craig will not be boarding a plane on the first week of June to go to Primavera Sound because it's Primavera down, as a matter of fact. The festival has announced that it will not Wait, even watch? be moving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no>. my <Imagine>. god. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so funny. Um, oh. <laughs> like it's 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 not even moving back a few months this time. It's going back a full year, and you can get your refunds on the day that they will announce the lineup for the 2022 edition, which is a smart business move if you ask me. Craig Fitzpatrick, how are you feeling at this stage, man?
0: Um, I'm glad we have some clarity at this point. You know, after so many disappointments, I can't. I'm just numb to everything at this point. So I'm glad that it's not like getting into May territory and they're saying, oh, we're pushing it to September and kind of vaccinations aren't happening as fast as we'd like. And suddenly it's August and I'm going, am I even going? Am I booking accommodation? Um, So clearly, yeah, they're not being as bullish as um, the UK seem to be with Reading and Leeds, which is probably wise. And, yeah, I guess I'll hold on to the tickets. I'll, like, I'll go go next year. I also have a wedding to contend with that is looking like it's going to be moved again, of course. Is in it your Austria. wedding? Is this news <laughs> that I'm now in I would TV. like to oh announce that I will be getting wed <laughs> to a lovely lady I met online during lockdown. We've never met. <laughs> hey, it's no, modern it's, age, man. It's my dear friend Ronan, who's living in Austria, and he was due to have it um, last June. And it was on the same weekend as Primavera and I was like trying to figure out what I was going to do. Um, It was then moved um, to the same weekend again. So it became this thing where my only two plans for an entire year were landing on the same weekend.
4: And I'm pretty sure it's going to happen again, 2022. So yeah, I don't know. I think you should frame those tickets at this stage, man. Some kind of avant-garde art installation. I keep saying the word avant-garde. Who have I become? I sound like a do I don't know, like, some kind of out-of-touch old man who's given out about there not being any bands anymore or something. Oh, no, 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 that's not me. That's Adam Levine Adam of Maroon Levine. 5. Fair play <laughs> Noted to Noted band, like, Maroon 5. Noted band legend. Uh, <laughs> so, right. Adam Levine is upset uh, that there are no bands anymore. In a new interview with Zane Lowe to discuss Maroon 5's new song, Beautiful Mistakes, featuring Megan The Stallion which I feel like came out forever ago. I hope the story isn't from a year ago, but I saw it in Stereogum during the week and it made me laugh. Uh, Levine has lamented the lack of bands in the current pop landscape and waxes nostalgic about the halcyon days of bands, including, he says, Avril Levine, that famous 16-piece jazz orchestra. No, she's not. <laughs> she has the uh, band. So he says, and I quote now, you look back at that stuff and it's funny, I've been showing my kid music videos, my little girl, and it's funny how you go back and rewatch these old videos, listen to these old songs, playing her a lot of Avril Lavigne records. I'm With You is, yeah, it gives you tears. Like, I'm with him on that, it is a great song. He says it's crazy, you don't remember it in the same way because you took it for granted. It was like when you were growing up, it was part of what you had on the radio... Really great songs. I didn't understand how good they were back then. I love how he's just rambling. Then he goes, gets to the point finally in paragraph two. It's funny, when the first Maroon 5 album came out, there were still other bands. I feel like there aren't (laughs) any bands anymore. And then they killed off the rest of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing that makes me kind of sad, is that there were just bands and there's no bands anymore. I feel like they're a dying breed. Uh, In a weird way I mean there's still plenty of bands But maybe not in Limelight quite as much Or the pop Limelight I wish they could be more of those around So yeah listen As I said on Twitter today When I was kind of you know Expanding on this It's very clear that he's making a wider point About mainstream And how like bands don't top the charts anymore And you know They're not as big as they were And as commanding as they were And it's mostly pop artists And solo artists and so on And I mean like first of all I, I take his point to some degree I think it's a flawed argument I think it's contextual Chart sales You know the way it's all changed Mogwai got their number one album last week We talked about that at the top of the show didn't take a lot of units to do it but for them it was a bit of a herculean effort and fair play to them it was a great moment but like i don't know i mean it just struck me as your classic case of as i again uh, uh, i'm quoting myself now as i said on twitter i know how pompous i sound but i feel like it was a nice way of summing it up as i was running out of characters i said that this is personal apathy you know kind of framed or masked as a, a pop culture failure i think ultimately I love doing the work, you know, and like, like I feel like you know, if you if you want to find new music, like part of it is you have to kind of work at it, and it's not a laborious thing. It can be a very exciting and great thing. I point to some of the records I loved last year, like Touche More and Creeper and Loathe, lots of others too, like National Language. Not the most guitar driven, but it's in there. I mean, your yeah. definition of he's what a guitar band is, your definition them. of what a band is. Yeah, I mean, like it's that's the thing. He like he just he wants to have it spoon fed to him, and he's referring to like what's on the the Hot One Hundred or something, and. I just find that so depressing, you know, even if it is Adam fucking Levine. I like, when a musician who clearly has errors in the day just is just like, I'm no not curiosity, bothered, mate. no yeah, sense of yeah, like adventure
0: like. Or, or discovery. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, it's is his point. He isn't really talking about rock, is he? Because uh, when he brings in Avril Levine, clearly that's where he's going. But it felt to me like he was more initially getting at that thing of just like, it's nearly all solo artists that are in really commanding positions and where it used to be, like, the bands were the Bahamuts, which I guess is, like, a function of just the industry becoming so... Strapped for cash, I guess. It's more practical to just operate as a solo artist, like your Ed Shearns and people like that. It just makes sense for them not to be part of a, like a four-piece or something. Um, so yeah, I, I guess Maroon 5 are a bit antiquated in that sense. So is he lamenting a kind of loss of camaraderie or something? Because... I, I, I just don't know. (laughs) Clearly when you're touring, you're also going to have other musicians. Unless again, you're Ed Sheeran who just does, like he really paved the way for that thing of like isolated bloke with his loop pedal, just doing everything himself and writing songs for other people and a one man industry essentially. So if Adam Levine's railing against that, I'm right there with him. I don't think he's having a rock and roll conversation really because I don't think he quite knows what rock and roll is outside of Mick Jagger.
4: But even the idea of like, you know, it's not like all these old guard bands were taken out in some kind of fucking Night of the Long Knives situation. Like, it's like oh, Foo Fighters this, are still around. The,
0: the, that happened a couple of weeks back. Van Morrison oh, where, escaped and he's mad as hell.
4: <laughs> where have I been? But like, Foo Fighters, you too. Coldplay, The Killers, etc. I mean, like, if they're your traditionalist bands that top the charts, Rolling Stones are still around, as you allude to. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I just, again, like, I just see these conversations come up all the time. And to me, I'm just like, you could, I, I feel like you could present him. You could give him a fucking stack of records and be like these are all amazing and he wouldn't fucking listen to the muddy he? because he's too busy writing hit songs like payphone which is and a closer <laughs> well yeah. I, I can't imagine I can't imagine he's a big fan of Taylor Swift then in this regard because you know that she is in fact one individual and not a band but she is very much a brand Craig and the brand came under fire a bit this week uh, Netflix is a new comedy show it's called Ginny in Georgia by all accounts it's mm. terrible I uh, saw a clip from it didn't look good. But there's a line of dialogue in the show by a character, should be noted a fictional character in a fictional show, that said, you go through men faster than Taylor Swift. So uh, all the stands were upset, started a bit of a thing on Twitter. Swift herself got involved and tweeted out and said, hey, Ginny in Georgia, 2010 called and it wants its lazy, deeply sexist joke back. How about we stop degrading hardworking women by defining this horse shit as funny? She continues, also, at Netflix, after Miss Americana, which of course is the propaganda film that was made better on Netflix, uh, this outfit doesn't look cute on you. No. Happy Women's History Month, I guess. And everyone's like, drag them, queen. And it's like, okay, first of all, how gauche, to quote Taylor herself, is it to tag in a, a giant corporation uh, that you had one project with and suggest Chance the Rapper given out about MTV in a bad review style, that you are not allowed ever have any critique of me whatsoever. We did business together. This was a business relationship. And then to tie it into women's history and like this kind of like arch feminism. She does that, that quite a point. lot. But she only seems to care about this kind of arch feminism stuff when it concerns her. I don't really see her kind of shouting from the rooftops about other people and much more marginalized people. And also, she set her fucking vicious stan army on like the black actresses and writers This is of the, the main show, problem, Which isn't I'm it? like, what like, the fuck?
0: Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, as much as we might, and I I do think this thing of, like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch scratch yours, and we had a business deal, and now there can be, you know, there can be no one speaking out against me. Um, I mean, that's gone on for years, of course. It's a real power move. I mean... I'm sure artists have long been saying, you know, I'll do this award show, but get rid of that person and blah, blah, blah. It's all stuff that was once behind the scenes. Um, and with the internet now, nothing is really behind the scenes, which is great in some ways. But, um, yeah, side effect of her having a go at Netflix and the show in particular is, of course, it just weaponizes the Stan army again. And it kind of puts targets on the back of everyone that was involved in this show. Uh, the actors that are kind of saying lines, the writers... And yeah, I mean I I don't know much about the show. That line isn't funny whatsoever and it seems really dated, but it's a character saying it. I saw some people like trying to like desperately kind of give context for the show and be like no, the actual point of like this character is that that is supposed to be sexist and blah 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 and of course they were immediately shut down and there's just no room for subtlety or <laughs> development of topics in fiction now. I mean, I, you know, we're in danger of getting into kind of awful fairy tale New York territory where it's like I'm not for that, but this thing of just Taylor Swift with her massive platform singling out a much smaller entity for abuse and not caring about it and disappearing and doing the kind of cute, this outfit doesn't look cute and you think it's just weird to me. It just doesn't sit right with me at all.
4: Yeah, I echo what you're saying with regards to it is a shit joke. It is a sexist joke. It isn't a funny joke, but also it's a character saying it, a flawed human being. And like this thing of like my art and my films and my TV must be populated exclusively by enlightened characters who never say dumb shit or make mistakes. I'm like, well, that's not really an accurate reflection of life now, is it? Like, you know, like it's also not necessarily a ringing endorsement of the makers of the show to slut-shame Taylor Swift. And also, it's actually referencing Taylor Swift's own song, Blank Space, in which she refers to a long list of ex-lovers. And don't tell me that Taylor Swift never dated a high-profile male celebrity to try and get a narrative out of it and create songs off the back of it, because those publicity stunts would have worked both ways for the actors involved as well. I just, like 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 everything she does, I just find it very insidious and especially this thing this hit and run essentially of as you say the smaller entity with kind of more vulnerable people uh, it's not a good look on her either but anyway we'll move on Dolly Parton got the vaccine Craig I'm so over her I, I really can't do another Dolly Parton news story she got the vaccine she sang vaccine everyone thought it was hilarious congratulations to her I know
0: she's really become a, a thing I know much, Dolly Parton's much, been a thing yeah. for decades but now she's it's too much. like she's a living meme uh, yeah. I did think it was quite nice that like she pumped a million dollars into this vaccine and then she gets it it's just like such extreme capitalism (laughs) that she can benefit from a vaccine that she paid a million quid for obviously she was helping plenty more people but yeah um, I did kind of like her you know calling people cowards that didn't get the vaccine it won me back a bit after she did the awful Squarespace ad where she was singing about working five to nine and just kind of mythologising having a double job which is an awful thing in America Um, so yeah I kind of sway back and forth with Dolly Parton maybe we'll give it a rest for a while though (laughs)
4: I guess her, her music does encourage the swaying back and forthness in terms of its kind of easy, groovy nature. Oh, lovely, um, lovely. I should say as well, <laughs> I should say as well that like, cowards, I'm always here for the use of cowards as an insult. Is up there with clown for me is like, just like really yes. cuttingly brilliant and not too offensive. It's great. Um, okay, so Robbie Williams film, you got a quick update for us. And I do mean quick because let's just not spend too much time. We, we did mention that there's a Robbie Williams film coming. I was like, cool if it's a jukebox musical. That doesn't sound like it's going to happen though, does it?
0: It sounds like it could be a bit more interesting than we thought because apparently Robbie Williams will be reimagined as a CGI monkey in the forthcoming biopic, Better Man. Um, so they're going to do something... Yeah, I, the director was talking to um, Deadline. It's the Greatest Showman guy. It's Michael Gracie. said they're going to portray Robbie in a really original way. Didn't quite let it slip in that interview, but Deadline understands it means he's going to be a CGI monkey i'm
4: holding out hope this is going to be interesting i'm not th- th- this is where my vague interest ends completely uh, <laughs> really? moving on this Yeah, drag you like, back like, in it's a no. cgi monkey no i wanted like, i wanted a jukebox musical you know cast an actor why not have Robbie both
0: williams. why not have both
4: i just feel craig i i feel like I, I want a certain level of serious ken loach seriousness to my Robert williams biopic <laughs> to, and, you, to your jukebox just, musical <laughs> this is just taking that would it, be
0: yeah. a great jukebox <laughs> mu- musical A <like> ken loach
4: straight <laughs> coming to the west end the wind that shakes the barley yeah absolutely I'd love to see it um also causing a ruckus on twitter this week not just taylor swift but soldier boy do you know how old soldier boy is that song was out forever ago that song that song was out in 2007 how old do you think he is 2007 soldier boy is now 43 years old soldier boy is 30
0: years of age my friend <laughs> I swear to God,
4: what? <laughs> I don't know how it's possible, Soldier Boy. I guess is he was yeah, he was
0: like a young team, when I came out like 30. he just made himself on fruity loops or something, didn't he? Yeah. Played to
4: him, that's incredible. But he's um, yeah, he's he he's caused a stir in my favorite world, professional wrestling. Um, I took this story from the New York Post, and I kind of want to read some of it like an RTE newsreader because it's so self-serious in professional I wrestling ghost
0: publication. <laughs> yeah, okay.
4: Um. In professional wrestling, fake is a four-letter word. So when rapper Soldier Boy recently wrote on Twitter, "rap game faker than WWE," he started a firestorm that led to an intense Twitter beef between he and longtime WWE star Randy Orton. So Randy Orton, for anyone who doesn't know, is a veteran WWE star, a multi-championship winner in the in this world of scripted events. Wrestlers get very upset when you call a fake. It's choreographed, and they, they hurt for their art, which is true. But there's nothing worse than a bunch of wrestlers on Twitter going after a guy who made a throwaway comment that it's fake and then turning it into a big thing. Uh, Interesting enough, Bad Bunny, who's a huge star in the States, um, is currently kind of working with WWE, appearing on their shows and stuff, and is their 24-7 hardcore champion, even though it doesn't mean anything. And Randy Orton was like, Bad Bunny would beat the fuck out of you, bro. And it was just like your standard call-out stuff. As with everything in professional wrestling, take it with a massive pinch of salt. Don't be surprised to see Soldier Boy on the mid-card at WrestleMania coming up. <laughs> but uh, it just seems to me like where I'm like, lads, like I know like we're long past the point of kayfabe being upheld in the world of wrestling, but you know, just let it go. Don't rise to this. What are you doing? I have
0: one question about the 24-7 hardcore uh, championship belt at the moment. I'll take how several that, questions, Great. How does that work in COVID times is it just way more hardcore hard like you could infect someone because you can yeah. just emerge it's it's the same as like back in the day where you could just be taking a nap backstage and Precisely, someone yeah, you and yeah. yeah okay
4: you have yeah you have it down I mean it's more of a comedy title with no real whatever and it's kind of confined to the bubble of WWE so I mean Bad Bunny was on Saturday Night Live recently he had it with him but it wasn't identified because Saturday Night Live were like we're not acknowledging this <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> he can have it if he wants but we're not saying what it is it's just a giant belt which written on it. Uh, In potentially more amicable news, what's going on with Fleetwood Mac, Craig? Is it time to get excited again? Um, I
0: don't think so, really. It's just, what's going on with Fleetwood Mac is what's always going on with Fleetwood Mac. They're kind of in love with each other, they're falling out, people getting kicked out of bands, everything's grand. So Lindsay Buckingham was fired publicly uh, a couple of years back. Um, It seemed to be because Stevie Nicks just turns to the rest band and was like, I do not want to look at that man on a stage ever again. And they're like, okay, um, that's fine. We'll get in like your man from Crowded House and Mike Campbell. Um, but now Mick Fleetwood is saying, actually, they've really um, come together in recent times and he's hanging out with Lindsay again. I guess hopefully socially distanced. They've reconnected. Um, there's been a lot of graciousness and openness apparently. And he's kind of saying after saying, you know, never again that something could happen in the future. And um, I guess the big takeaway for Mike Campbell and Neil Finn is that uh, Mick Fleetwood is basically like, we can all be on stage. It's grand. Um, So they're not going to be kicked out, which is lovely. But yeah, I think they've been done for years. I remember seeing them live a couple of years ago and they just looked so jaded and like they hated each other. Just going through the motions. I can't imagine this situation has improved. And yeah, I'm done with it.
4: Also done this news section. It's time for an album review, but before that, another plug for the Head Stuff Podcast Network. I'm Gerod Farrelly and I'm the host of Fascinated. Have you ever wondered about the pop bands you liked as a teenager? What went on behind the scenes?
1: We had played this like grand prank. It
2: sounds terrible, but I'm just so relieved it's over. And then they had this like great idea of getting another girl in who looked like Heavenly. What did
1: they do afterwards?
2: And all of a sudden, you're like, that's the end of that. It
4: was all blowing up when it all kind of just.
2: Unraveled. And I thought it would last forever, and it didn't.
1: Check out Fascinated with me, Gerald Farrelly, on the Headstuff
4: Podcast Network. Right, down to business. Nick Cave, Warren Ellis, Carnage is the name of the album. This song, which is quite intoxicating, is called White Elephant. If think
3: of coming around here, I'll shoot you in the fucking face if you think of coming around. melding in the sun. I'm an ice sculpture with an elephant gun. I'm an ice sculpture made of elephant-sized tears raining gas and salt upon your heads. The president has called in the feds. And I've been planning this for years. And I'll shoot you in the fucking face if you think I'm coming around here shoot you just for fun i'm a statue lying on my side in the sun with the memory of an elephant evaporating before your eyes and becoming a great
4: great car- that song is called white elephant it is one of the most astounding songs yes. i've heard in quite some time but i guess you expect little less from these guys right the album's called carnage the artists are nick cave and warren ellis and here to tell us more about who these gentlemen are is craig fitzpatrick
0: Thank you, David. Yeah, so Nick Cave, um, an Australian artist whose greatest contribution to popular music might be this quote, I'm forever near a stereo saying, what the fuck is this garbage? And the answer is always the red hot chili peppers. Stunning. Um, I love probably it. more innocent times, if only you knew what kind of fresh musical horrors were to come. Um, but yeah, even as a Chili's apologist, a great line. So aside from that towering achievement, he's done some commendable recorded work of his own over the course of a 40 plus year career at this stage. Like, he first emerged as a chaotic post-punker with the birthday party. He left his native Victoria for London, made a hell of a racket. Then he's been, like, the bad seed in chief since 1983, which is, like, this occasionally shifting collection of rock and rollers. Um, basically, like, the occult southern hemisphere equivalent of the East Street Band, I guess. And, yeah, Cave himself has gone from a bit of an enfant terrible to a kind of songwriter that's held in the... The lineage of a Dylan awaits and the rest. And just when you think his kind of place is frozen in the canon or there's a slight lull, he seems to kind of scale even greater heights and push the boundaries of a sonic vision even further. And he's had plenty of help from his side men over the years in that regard. Um, The likes of Blixa and McCarvey are now gone. But his main artistic partner is very much Warren Ellis, who's been in the band since the mid 90s, maybe it was 97-ish. But he now feels more important to Nick than I guess the whole of the seeds combined. Um, he brings in these electronic touches, avant garde approach, uh, the pastoral kind of touches, and the more kind of unmoored vibes, um, which are really an Ellis thing. They've done a lot of great soundtrack work together as well. I think that sound really took hold with Push the Skyway, which was 2013, and it's felt like the right almost necessary approach for the last two records, which were Skeleton Tree and Ghostine, which we reviewed on this podcast. And they were both coloured by or like directly dealing with the awful, awful passing of Cave's 15-year-old son back in 2015. At the time when we talked about Ghostine and we had Carlo Maliocco on to unpack the album with us and we weren't really like overawed by it, but we recognised it was like this weighty text that we were trying to dissect and we left it kind of all out in the field and so did he. We're curious what his next move would be. That move isn't under the Bad Seeds name. It's Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. It's their first non-soundtrack work as a duo. And yeah, it's kind of that old chestnut at this stage where COVID tour cancellations gave them an opportunity to take stock. Nick has said when asked about the album Carnage, he says, uh, more info, okay, how about this? Carnage is a beautiful, uh, sorry, a brutal but very beautiful record
4: embedded in a communal catastrophe. Sound about right to you, Dave? That does sound a bit right, yeah, because I was about to liken it to a horror film, um, or one of those, you know, <laughs> elevated horror films that people seem to can't get enough of these days. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's fitting that you mentioned the last two records because I think, you know, I had a similar experience here as I tend to often have with Nick Cave where I just find him so overwhelming and intimidating that while I greatly respect what he does, It's hard for it to kind of pierce all the way through for me in the way that other albums by other artists do. Uh, And this should in no way be taken as a criticism or a complaint, because it is neither of those things. But I want you to join me, listener, as we walk into an art gallery, because that's where I felt like I was this week when I listened to this record. Join me in the art gallery. Let's walk around the art gallery, shall we? Taking the amazing images and the incredible uh, pristine white walls and the unbelievable sculptures in front of you. And you know that you are witnessing true art and you are witnessing something genuinely special. At the same time, as glad as you were to walk in those doors, you're equally happy to leave them. And again, this is not a derogatory statement. It's more that I think that Nick Cave and Warren Ellis are exceedingly good at creating claustrophobic quicksand avenues that tend to kind of swallow you up if you let them. And it took me a good few listens to really click into this one this week. And when I clicked into it, it was more individual moments such as White Elephant that we heard there, a song that I find to be genuinely exceptional. I texted the aforementioned Carlo during the week, huge Nick Cave fan that he is, huge Warren Ellis fan that he is and i said white elephant i don't think there's another artist out there or artists that could get away with this song i just don't think they exist i think this has to be them it is almost their own language it's present as well in a much more lighter sense a much more hopeful sense on the closing track balcony man which contains just some absolutely beautiful affirmations and i was very very swept away by those particularly in a week in which i concluded uh, the therapy process i've been on for the last kind of Six to eight months. Um, White Elephant is amazing. I keep coming back to it. Even hearing that clip there, I find myself wanting to stop this podcast and just put on headphones and, you know, sit in the dusk and listen to it and just watch the world burn, but not in a world ending way. Even though so much of what these guys do can be apocalyptic and catastrophic, I think that they're exceedingly good. Like I say, I use that word again. At finding those pockets of light. I mean, you know, their soundtrack work is just stunning. You know, I, I've, I've waxed lyricals so often about the assassination of Jesse James by the character Robert Ford, and they've done so much more than that. They're true poets. They're true magicians. This is an exceptional record. I just don't know how much I love it, but I am finding myself wanting to spend more time with it as I even, as these words even come out of my mouth. I mean, they're operating in a league of their own, right? I mean, it feels even bizarre to put any kind of score on these guys. Like, like what they do is just celestial, I think, at this point.
0: Yeah, it's a record that I keep coming back to. It keeps nagging at me. Like, I want to kind of dissect all the songs. I've been listening to it nonstop, and I want another couple of days before we do this review, so I have more to say about it. And yeah, you comparing it to, like, a, a wander through an art gallery is spot on, because I kept grasping for other art forms to try and compare it to because it just felt like musically they were doing something so different it's it's bracing what they do it kind of rearranges your mind like a rubik's cube that never quite it's never quite complete but you kind of feel like oh okay that's rearranged what I was the way I was thinking and I don't know if it always emotionally strikes you in a really primal way but you walk away from it a slightly different person um it's really tough to like just describe this record or maybe most recent Nick Cave records because you could kind of prompt eye rolls. Like, it's such distinctive music with a recognisable voice, well-trodden kind of ground that it could easily become some kind of parodic trudge, like a caricature. And it's a testament to these two that when you hit play, like, that's all kind of blown away. Any apprehensions I had about, like, what the next step would be, would it be back to classic Bad Seeds or a doubling down? Just melted away pretty instantly and it's a relatively instant record for them right certainly more so than the last two like there's a kind of fresh injection of adrenaline there's you know drums are kind of back on the menu and there's some older touchstones like as tent poles just holding things up like so it can at times recall like an abattoir blues uh on the likes of white elephant which is a real centerpiece moment and just yeah early contender for like song of the decade maybe
4: it's unbelievable and, yeah. uh, if i can stop you for a second as well like, like there are touchdowns in there where like at one stage i was like is like their version of Kanye West power because it has that kind of strange kind of um I don't know like almost kind of sunambulant kind of intro and then like it picks up so much speed and then like the more it moves on and like the, the avenues it, it, it itself goes down like it turns into like a like almost again their version of like tender by blur and i'm like how are you packing all of these twists and turns into this narrative over six minutes that shouldn't work at all i mean it's funny because we played it there and uh, sonic architect adam choice music prize nominated sonic architect adam forever <laughs> in our hearts burst out laughing when he heard nick cave saying i'm gonna shoot you in the fucking face but this is what i'm saying who else could get away with that? Who else could get away with that delivery? And who else could get away with tying it back into something that makes you feel like, I think you used the word commonly earlier on about something else, but there's there's a union to this track. There's a legion to this track. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, even if it sounds a bit like moving on up by the Primal Scream, just like, it totally works. It's it's There's some kind of alchemy to what he's doing. I mean, maybe Kanye would get away with that lyric. It's just like, it's at that kind of level of just a different kind of artistry, I think. And yeah, I mean, you know, as I was saying, there's kind of, there's more raw engagement now. There's kind of old character pieces coming back in and like the floating commentary of Push the Sky Away. But as you point out, like the structures are still fractured and weird like the last couple of records. Um, and there's that kind of constant, beautiful, like potentially malevolent electric hum. It's almost like kind of Bad Lamentis on the keys or something. And yeah, it's you can go from the tenderness of the title track to then inhabiting this kind of monstrous, vengeance-seeking, horrors of human history thing um, that is White Elephant. And it's just such a flip and it works brilliantly. Uh, Like, I want to dissect so much of this. I won't. I'll say Shattered Ground, I think, is up there with his finest love songs. The mic drop of the final song is tremendous as well. such a brilliant kind of finale. And after such a kind of pure, you know, harrowing expression of loss on the last record the question is like where'd you go what could compare to like that kind of record what metaphysical kingdoms are left to conquer and this is a really emphatic answer it's like relatively quick as a follow-up re-emphasizes the kind of multitude of strings he has in his bow both him and warren ellis it takes the sonic experimentation of the past decade really but layers it over older more immediate blueprints and he's tackling kind of Old common topics with this fresh kind of hard-fought and tear-filled perspective. He's, he's delving deeper as an artist, I think, um, both him and Warren. And they're still recognising that the audience, you know, okay, maybe it's time to let a little light in for the fellow travellers. And it doesn't feel like a compromise. It feels like a further accomplishment. It's an easy, easy nine for me. I thought this was tremendous.
4: Wow. Okay. That's big. Uh, I'm going to go eight for now, but the eight is a placeholder. I agree with what you're saying. I need more time with it to explore it, to unlock it further. And I will be taking that time. Carnage is the record. Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Uh, Yeah. Make time for it. And I feel like it will make time for you as well. And we'll now make time for our top five this week. This week's top five, Craig. What is it? Controversial stuff, I believe, as I open my second can of the episode. This This is like old school new encore. I love it.
0: It's, yeah, it's very much a Ron Seal uh, topic this week. It's going to be a good bit of fun, I think. So it's just songs that have been banned in some form. I think most of them end up being radio stations, uh, trying to kind of control what people are listening to. Never really quite works. And we haven't really gone for, like, our favourite five, or the ones we think are the best songs, or kind of going the other way and going for the worst songs, which could get grim. We've gone for the ones we think are particularly noteworthy, up for discussion and just kind of big talking points. So yeah, let's just have fun with it.
4: Yeah, I mean, like Craig says, we haven't gone for our favourites not knowing what my five are. Imagine it was like, well, actually. But no, I think it was very important for us this week to be very clear. We weren't going to pick like fucking hate speech songs or anything, you know? Like it wasn't going to be like, let's yeah, our find favorites, actually, as you say, <laughs> actually horrible stuff. No, yeah, we had yeah. a bit of fun with it, as we tend to do on the show. Patreon.com slash new if you like what we do. Top five band songs. Shall I kick it off this week? Yes, yeah, do. Go for it. I'll kick it off this week. Let's go. it's our old friends Rage Against the Machine, and the song is Gorilla Radio. But actually, Craig, it wasn't just Gorilla Radio that was banned in the one that I'm referring to. It was quite literally all of their songs. So, yes, a uh, nice moment for me there, holding a, holding aloft my Battle of Los Angeles vinyl. But I like one vinyl. one of
0: theirs I don't have. Really? Because it was banned, of course. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's my favourite Rage album, actually. Uh, I love that one so much. So, uh, post 9-11, September 11th attacks, 2001 you know? Ah. Uh, clear Channel Communications in America, which is now known as I Heart Media, the largest owner of radio stations in the US of A, circulated an internal memo, a memorandum containing a list of songs that programme directors felt were lyrically questionable to play in the aftermath of the 9-11 attack. Because you remember this, there was all this kind of like change in entertainment, you know, you wouldn't have a film for a while with the fucking building being blown open. Fair enough, understandable in a way. Yeah. Um. So, um, This was a big blanket thing, and initially it was kind of dismissed. People figured it was just, you know, apocryphal. But uh, that wonderful website that everyone loves, Snopes.com, which, you know, looks into rumours, said no, it was actually a real thing. uh, That the list was more of a suggestion for radio stations, not necessarily a blanket ban. But there were lots of radio stations that did, in fact, do so. But the list itself, right, contained... 165 suggestions including the single suggestion for every single song in Rage Against the Machines catalogue uh, as well as certain songs by artists like you had like, you, you, weird things like Smooth Criminal by Eddie Farm was banned or at least suggested to be banned but the original by Michael Jackson wasn't and it's like okay it's strange. strange um, but the reasoning for doing so was because it was anything that referred to Airplanes, collisions, death, war, violence, the sky falling, <laughs> weapons, and even celebratory songs. Louis Armstrong's "What a Wonderful World" was included on this list because of Clear Channel's belief that happy music was It was not a wonderful world. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah, <laughs> shut up, so, Louis. I mean, like, it's interesting because, like, if you go into like the actual full list of artists on there and songs, um everyone's on this <laughs> like there's an a to z i won't read that the entire thing but i'll give you some examples acdc lots of theirs highway to hell shot down in flames shoot to thrill you can kind of see why they got like nixed i suppose alice and chains alien anfarm bare naked ladies uh beastie boys the beatles are on there not maxwell Silverhammer. that was safe uh, lots and lots of others fuel foo fighters Godsmack, guns and roses uh-huh. billy joel elton john rocket man rocket man was banned Rocketman? man <laughs> hey jamesy as paul McCartney once said to his son before he the greatest <laughs> he performed clip on live tv oh my god can you guess what led zeppelin song was banned
0: was it just led zeppelin because like it refers to the zeppelin plane it was stairway to just heaven all of their stuff um, oh can okay. you right. can,
4: can you guess what dave matthews band song was banned
0: I don't know any names of the songs except for the space <laughs> space between. So I'm gonna go with the space between. Uh, it was crash into me.
4: Oh yeah, course, I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, you can kind of see the argument if you're gonna go down on that argument. Uh, but yeah, all of Rage Against Machine songs. O. M. Your beloved O. M. Give me what what Song was banned? Um, one. God, losing my religion. Nope, um, the answer is... Go on, one more guess. You're a big OEM guy. Best American Orange band. Crush. No, uh, it's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. <laughs> so yeah, Rage. I mean, like, I feel like Rage Against Between would, of course, by their very definition, of what they were and what they were doing, always have a bit of a run in. But like, to ban all of their songs every single one of them that is clear mental. channel
0: are such like pantomime villains as well like you said there it was kind of a suggestion like it was a suggested list but like a, a suggestion from clear channel is like a bond villain suggesting you just kind of walk over a tank of sharks do you know what i mean um just yeah n- not great the whole rebound rebrand is i love music and i love blah 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 is so like <laughs> just comedy villain stuff all right well i sued the brow now with some um some, something a little more low key We've had a few awkward Zoom record moments Over the past year or so we all kind of sit and stare at each other As a good place Usually kind of because a piece is like Particularly emotional or something But um, let's crank up the awkwardness But let's make it sexy guys <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, I'll get you in the mood. him there, uh the breathy voice of Jane Birkin, um possibly reaching some sort of musical climax, along with um yeah, Serge Gainsbourg whispering. Can at the I end. just
4: stop you there, Craig? <laughs> you <can of> course. <laughs> For the record, if anyone is keeping a record, if I am to be accused of being obsessed with the frontman, the beret wearing tough guy frontman of Picture This you're obsessed with Serge Gainsbourg, man. <laughs> We've just week talking goes about him. this. Yeah, stage. the latest Snow Ox chords,
0: um there was some tangential Serge talk for sure. This was, yeah, this was kind of like the the elephant in the room. When I was making my selections, the half-naked elephant in the room. I wasn't sure if I'd pick it, but sometimes you just have to ride that elephant right into the top 5. And this is like I, I kind of love the whole story around this. So this is back in like 1969. The song was written initially for uh Serge Gainsbourg's girlfriend at the time, Bridget Bardot, um, who was like, write me the most beautiful love song of all time. And he wrote Bonnie and Clyde in this, so a pretty good stab at it. They recorded a version of it... Um, and apparently, according to the engineer, it was a two hour kind of session in a small glass booth where there was some heavy petting going on between the two of them. However, news of the recording reached the press and Bardot's husband, German businessman Gunter Sachs, who was not pleased. Um So the single was withdrawn. He hooked up with Jane Birkin um, on a film set a year later and she was a big fan. She thought the version was great. She was like jealous that she didn't get to sing on it. So he's like, ah, let's do it. He apparently asked Marianne Faithful to do it as well. She said it. he was asking everyone to record the song. It seemed his go-to move. Um, but this was the version that kind of went out. Uh, it was banned in quite a few territories, Spain, Sweden, Brazil, uh, the UK, Italy, Portugal, banned from radio. Even in France, it couldn't be played before 11pm. And of course, it became a massive hit, Um, which is kind of amazing to me that, like, particularly in the UK, I think it got to number two here in Ireland. Um, It got to number one in the UK. It got to actually number two in the UK and it was withdrawn from sale, sale by the label. Then Gainsbourg arranged to deal with a different label to re-release it and it got to number one again. It was the first kind of band number one in the UK, the first single in a foreign language to top the charts. And yeah, it was, do you know what? It was a kind of a better time for the UK, I think. They were embracing the The love of the EU fully. Um, it was very much in it together, and it's just mad to me that this was such a huge hit because it's kind of a weird song. I'm I'm sure the controversy helped. Um, it sounds great. Like I
4: love I love that organ <laughs> sounds that's going on, but yeah, it's a that's weird a drop song. right there. Adam's <laughs> eyes lighting up in the background. Uh, I have to ask. I mean, like it's it's it is clear to me that, you, that this is no ironic thing. You are a fan of Serge Gainsbourg. You're a fan of the man's work. A fan of this. How often? Does this go on in the Craig Fitzpatrick (laughs) office day? You know, you had that Crocodile Rock Hour recently. Has this ever just played solemnly in the background for an hour? People Uh, people knocking on your door asking if everything is okay? I must confess that this one does not, no. But I think it's probably <laughs> just because
0: it's so overplayed. I wouldn't have a problem with it. I think that bass line is fantastic. Like, he always had the best bass lines in the business. <laughs> so, yeah, he's got some great LPs. I think is he was a really forward-thinking artist. Um, like, a creepy dude at best. Uh, not made for these times, for sure. And we can get into that that, to that discussion. But, yeah, just musically did some astounding stuff. And, like, I think, you know, this is kind of a bit of a joke of a song. But actually, when you listen to It with somewhat fresh ears, like quite sophisticated. It's it's interesting, yeah, yeah. It's kind of this Baroque piece. Well, Craig has successfully steamed things up,
4: but we won't (laughs) be wiping things down just yet. I'm so sorry. Uh, (laughs) Number four for me is also a bit of filth. Let's do it. Tell me your dreams, Craig. Am I in them? It's Madonna and Justify My Love, which, um, yeah, I mean, like, I wasn't on that episode that you did with uh, sexy and least sexy songs with Mark O'Brien of Royal Yellow fame. This probably yeah. would have been my number one in the sexy corner. Um, really? It's, oh my God. I mean, come on. This is, there's a lot going on here, you know? Uh, this is a song from 1990. So we're talking, what, like 31 years ago at this stage? And yeah. I mean, like, it's... It's it's erotic, right? I mean, like, let's just be honest about it. I mean, this is this was banned, the video was banned. Uh, I should note at this point that we are including if, if a video was banned, that's yeah. on our list because, you know, how else are we going to, like, are we ever going to do, like, a music video top five? Probably wouldn't work on an audio podcast. So this is a chance to kind of, I guess, nod to maybe one or two of those. Censorship uh, in all its forms. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I mean, but this was interesting because this was actually eventually... This song was released as a single on VHS, primarily, and was quite successful. As a matter of fact, my brother, big Madonna fan, had it, and this song was on there, and then there was like a live performance of Vogue or something. I was like six years of age, didn't know what I was seeing, and... (sighs) I, I don't mean,
0: remember the video, I must confess. like so the would, video, Because she had um, hugely controversial videos throughout her career, obviously. Uh, yeah, like yeah. Prayer was a huge one with the fake Jesus and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, Great
4: song. What was this one? Well, I'm happy to tell you, Craig, because it, it hasn't left my brain for a long time. <laughs> um, essentially, this, also, this was a co-write with Lenny Kravitz, I believe. Um, so basically, the video is black and white, very artful. You might say avant-garde uh, if that word wasn't already hammered into the dust. Madonna is milling around a hotel. She's wearing, like, a black jacket and finds herself seduced by a man and a woman. She's involved in a, you know, kind of a, a, a multi-person smackdown, so to speak. I'm just going to stop talking now. It's getting weird. But, of course, it was 1990 and society, society didn't like it roo Society didn't like it And so it was banned From the television uh, wow. It was deemed Too sexually explicit For MTV um, Madonna of course Did not take this line down And said Why is it That people are willing To go and watch a movie About someone getting Blown to bits For no reason at all And nobody wants to see Two girls kissing And two men Oh it exploded
0: Like I thought I took that a different way
4: <laughs> Yeah I mean again I can only apologise To anyone who is For whatever reason Playing this out loud uh, On Friday at like 12 On a bus On a bus, where are you going, you know? Uh, um, So basically, uh, yeah, it was, she accused NTV of double standards regarding censorship, and then it was put to her that, well, surely this controversy is good for sales, and she's like, it absolutely is, and it absolutely was. And here's the thing, Uh, it was noted as well that, like, it wasn't very critically well received at the time, but more contemporary critics have kind of since come to look at it as something of a Madonna unsung masterpiece. I think it's a very good song. The video itself is genuinely uh, captivating, especially for a young boy who didn't quite know what was happening, Um, but... It is a great song. And I think even audio-wise, it is genuinely uh, sexy. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, it's sexy, Craig.
0: Yeah, it's Come a sexy song. I, I can confirm that I finished off my sparkling water when the clip was playing. Um, poured I don't know it know all the term over my face. that you want to use. <laughs> to cool but, myself know, down. Fair enough. <laughs> all right, let's take this um, erotica in a slightly different direction. Where are you going, Dave? To the Pleasure Dome. Yeah, Craigie says relax, guys. <laughs> Frankie Goes to Hollywood. That is the stuff of um, DJ Mike Reed's nightmares or, I don't know, exciting homoerotic dreams. Who knows? He was the man that banned it on the BBC and the rest of the stations followed suit back in 1984. This was the debut single from um Frankie Goes to Hollywood. They were... I think they emerged from like Liverpool's punk scene. They'd toured um, around with like a leather-clad female duo knew, known as the Leather Pets, um, and just started making their own demos, their own videos. They were kind of ignored until, of course, the kind of ban came into. Like I think they got to number six, but then, of course, once it was banned, skyrocketed, got to number one, and um, yeah, it's just like. They they had amazing success from the off. Right with this song, just caused huge controversy. This is a video I do remember as well. I remember seeing this very young and being kind of confused by what was going on. Like, there's a lot going on in that video. I think it was the Roman Emperor with all the whipped cream, I believe, that was like, I was, what what is the point they're making here? It was the muscular kind of le- lettermen. There was, you know, a lot happening at that particular club.
4: Was it a case of... <laughs> <laughs> Please turn this off, my parents. I'm I'm freaking out. Or did you did you embrace the 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 amazing kind of uh, awakening that that was forming in front of you? You know, this is this is life. This is people. This is an yeah, amazing. Yeah, I think song.
0: it was <laughs> it was a formative experience. I think for sure. Um, and this was a hit. Two tribes then became a hit for them, and the power of love. And then they kind of just fell apart. Um, after a couple of years. That classic, like, 80s thing of just, there was a bit of squabbling. The hits quickly dried up and they were done, but a huge impact. It's a phenomenal,
4: phenomenal band name, right, isn't it? Like, it's an amazing band name. It's cool. Yeah. the whole, the relaxing, the t-shirts, it was, it was iconic uh, before everyone was using that word all the time.
0: It was great marketing
4: is what it was, Dave. Like, the whole (laughs) package was great.
0: Like, (laughs) Like, yeah, there was a whole, there was a whole campaign around it and just, um, I loved the idea of Mike Reed as well. He was playing the record apparently live on air. This is reverse John's cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he noticed the front cover design, which is like. Uh, a guy and a girl in letters kind of half naked and he apparently became outraged and was just like what am i listening to and then looked at the lyrics which were p- printed out and took the disc off the turntable live on air and was like that's obscene
4: not playing that <laughs> just partridge style not yeah, a couple of yeah. page three stunners yeah no it's fucking incredible um it's and again i mean again i'm, I'm aware of like how cliched some of these quotes are coming out of quotes Turns of phrase, um, yeah. I've, I've had one can, listener, I'm I'm off to the races, uh, essentially, stood the test of time, right? But like, it, it has, it, it sounds like, when it came on there, we were all bopping away, you know? It's a like, great song, it's like, a play great the great damn. It's fucking amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, all right, okay, um, we've had all kinds of things so far, and now we're going to, and no encore staple, <laughs> the year is 2004, I believe. Dave Hanratty is working in extravision, and some songs haunt him. This was one of them. Shocking language, absolutely no need for it, mate. That's Eamon, and the song is Fuck It, open brackets, don't want you back, close brackets. Came out in 2003, actually, late 2003, the month I joined X-Reason well, in November. I guess we were intertwined, you know? So this is one of those songs, right, um, where the artist, you couldn't name another song by them, right? I mean, like, you, like it's a one-hit wonder... Uh, yeah. It felt there like
0: was the response track. Of course, but this is the thing. Minutes. Yeah,
4: yeah. So this is the whole thing because I mean, like, and again, so it's a more innocent time. You know, I mean, no, no Twitter, no social media, no YouTube. It's music videos on the television, right? Mostly, and I remember the song playing a lot on the box, and I remember hating it because it's terrible for lots of reasons. It's mm-hmm. a bad song, and then of course, about a week or two later, um, there's another new artist called Frankie. Came along with F U or B, fuck you right back. And it was a response track to this. And it was a whole thing, Eamon and Frankie. Oh my God, that's who he was singing about. She's singing about him. Where's this going to go? So it was really kind of, I suppose, an early 2000s attempt at some kind of viral marketing, which didn't work because Eamon, whose full name is Eamon Doyle, by the way, I mean, there's got to be some Irish connection there. he very quickly po- poured cold water on it and said, I was not involved with F U or B. have never met Frankie, and she's definitely not my girlfriend or ex-girlfriend. The only way I was associated was I was asked for licensing permission by her representatives, which makes me a writer on her song by copyright law. But I really didn't expect all this to come out of it. They're having fun with it. It's cool. But in the end, they're paying me for their 15 minutes of fame, and I welcome her to my world of ho-wop. I guess it's like do what with the word ho which is all oh over my the God, song. was that a Again, genre, you tried to make happen. I mean, different time, you know. Bad times really and a, a really really bad song. But yeah, it was banned from lots of places because of of course the the name of it, you know. Um lots of censored versions of it, different was, kind of yeah, stuff.
0: That was my problem with it because it was still played bad spoofs in parodies. a lot of place, places but it was it was so heavily censored that it was it was already unlistenable but there were so many gaps in it it was just like what is even the point of playing this
4: yeah, no. It's like like it's absolute garbage, but it was very much like as I was doing my research this week and I saw this pop up, I was like, "Oh yeah. That completely drove me crazy for about 4 or 5 months. It's going in. It's my number 3. What do you got next, man?" Okay. Pause you, uh, Sorry, pause it. All right, cool. Just to let you know, I'm down to zero battery here, so it could okay. go and if it goes, I can go looking for them. It could be a horrible situation where I've got to run to the shop. I don't know. I mean, I guess we can just keep going and I'll keep, Let's an eye just keep on. Let's keep going. But we'll try and keep it brief, yeah. Go on. Uh don't worry, don't worry too much about rushing hard I mean do what you do but like we'll we'll do what we can
0: Okay Alright I'm going back to more innocuous times um, back to the heady early days of rock and roll Yeah, Louie Louie there, uh, the most famous version done by the Kingsmen back in 1963. And whereas the last song was like profanities really laid bare. And this was a source of controversy because no one could work out what the hell was being sung. So this song actually started life as a 1957 um, song by Richard Berry. It was a B-side. The opposite side was the single um, You Are My Sunshine. And basically this song is like as sweet and kind of basic as that. Like it's lyrics are about like me gotta go. I'm like catch a ship across the sea. It's a kind of it's a sailor heading off to work, I guess, on the open seas and uh, and yeah, so it's kind of quite an innocuous thing to begin with. It's, like, being recorded by a lot of people. But when the Kingsmen got their hands on it, they were just this kind of band from Portland. It was their second recording. Their first was, like, a cover of Peter Gunn Rock, like, that team tune. So they were clearly bursting with ideas, which is uh, maybe a bit unfair. It was kind of par for the course, back then. It was always like, yeah, then in, like, 63, we cut, like, a raucous version of Mary Had a Little Lamb and suddenly we're on, like, Dick Clark's Hip Parade. Simpler times. Anyway... The recording of this was, like, very much, like, garage-based or garage-based. It was, like, a $50 session. The singer couldn't hear himself over the band. Apparently, he was, like, the mic was placed really high. He had to stretch to get to it. He was wearing braces, so he was, like, he couldn't get the words out properly. It was a boom mic, and we got this kind of mushy mess of a song. Sounds great, obviously, but... Uh, yeah, the authorities weren't best pleased. Uh, lots of states banned it from radio play. Um, Indiana, it was personally prohibited by the governor, and yeah, it even became like a, a, an outraged parent wrote to Robert uh, Kennedy in February nineteen sixty four. Was basically saying that the lyrics are obscene. They're so filthy that I can't even enclose them in this letter. Of course, they didn't know what the letter was. So the FBI got involved, investigated the complaint um, for thirty one months. They concluded that it could not be interpreted, the song. It was unintelligible at any speed, so they couldn't find anything obscene with it. Now, bearing in mind, this was a cover version. It was the exact same lyrics as the original. They didn't interview the original songwriter. They didn't consult the actual lyrics of the original song, which were on file at the copyright (laughs) office. And they didn't spot that actually about 50 seconds in, the drummer can be heard yelling, fuck, after he messes (laughs) up a drum fill, which is just brilliant.
4: So it actually was obscene and no one picked it up incredible it's a song i mostly associated with hearing in movies when i was growing up as well yeah it's it's always in like a war movie somewhere or any american film set in the like vietnam stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. 70s all right okay uh for me we're going back to the murky world of music videos for my runner-up this week So, yes, of course, it's The Prodigy. It's Smack My Bitch Up. um, A song not about domestic violence. Liam Howlett from the band has emphasised very vehemently and so it's yeah. okay for us to talk about it and enjoy it because it's a fucking amazing song um i, I should say that like quality wise craig not to pat ourselves in the back here but like this is a very strong top apart from the amen song this is a very strong top five from each of us in terms of just like enjoyment um yeah. this was another one of those things right so it's 97 you know we're seven years on from madonna corrupting my youth and now here's the prodigy to corrupt my teenage years yeah it would have been around like 12 13 um and again this is like you know hand-me-downs from my brother and like late night mtv when i'm not supposed to be watching it and it was a huge deal the video for this in particular which was a a point of view perspective i'm sure everyone knows it with a twist
0: at the end with a major twist
4: at the end well i mean like it's (laughs) and in fairness it's so funny because like this was fucking revolutionary at the time this was the like, the, the talk of the school playground, it was, like, written about, like, debated on panel shows, taken off the air, that specifically MTV ran it for about a week and then took it down. Uh, I believe, like, feminist kind of lobbying groups, uh, who had been campaigning against it claimed a bit of a victory when it was taken down, but MTV were like, no, no, we're always going to just play it for a week. It was a statement. I don't quite know what the truth is there, but ultimately, uh, the video depicts, uh, what we believe to be a, a, a bloke having a, having a big night out. And he's, you know, <laughs> uh, knocking back beer, getting into fights, doing drugs, ends up coming home and having, uh, again, point of view sex with, with a lady. I'm getting very on partridge over here. And it's all very hedonistic and it's all very drug fueled and it's all very murky and it's all very grimy and it's all very like in your face, quite literally. And then at the end of it, it's revealed that our our protagonist is actually a woman. And it was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> that changes everything. My mind was blown, I have to say. I to be fair, to again, I mean, like, it pro- it, 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 so it was probably like, yeah, very seven. tame by today's standards, but ultimately, at the time, it was, you'd never seen anything like this before, not least attached to a music video that could only be played with a warning and, like, post-midnight, you know, it, like, it, it was such an urban legend. It was such its own myth. It was a video nasty after video nasties. It was huge and also attached to... A fucking incredible piece of music. And as a matter of fact, recording this podcast on the day that it's two years gone, Keith Flint passed away. Yeah, I didn't realise that was two years ago. Still incredibly sad. I know there is an upcoming documentary in the works about the prodigy. An act that, listen, the more they've gone on, the relevancy has of course waned and we've taken some critical shots at them. But like, if you went back to 1997, the fat of the land was everywhere. They were everything. Like, coming off Music for the Jelly Generation, this was one of the biggest bands, not just in the UK and Ireland, they were one of the biggest bands in the world. They, they were counterculture. in the
0: US, yeah. It yeah. was amazing.
4: Huge, huge, and so revolutionary, so influential, and Smack My Bitch Up. And like I say, Liam Heller has written an essay-length riposte to the idea of it being about domestic violence. He, his argument is basically it's more about music it's more about like making music for yeah yeah yeah, and like what you can do and like cutting up tunes and all this kind of stuff and in no way do we endorse this kind of stuff and and i really want to believe him I, i never took it from that i mean the title itself is obviously as provocative as the video but it's one of the greatest songs i've ever heard and i threw it on this week for the first time in a long time and you're just like my god and then breathe comes on afterwards on the album and you're just like Whew. I used to
0: rinse that album. By the way, I wasn't seven when I first saw that video. Now I think about it, ten, maybe. But yeah, I <laughs> that, I know it's the obvious choice, but I played that album so, so much. Chilted Generation gets a lot of nods these days, but yeah, tremendous band. And this song in particular is fantastic. Yeah, I love that kind of bit where it goes all Enya. <laughs> Just, that's the way I always took it anyway. That's uh, great. Really good pick. All right, um, let's go to my next selection, which is some of Keith Flint's Heroes. <laughs> I want i an okay.
1: no, and I want i, wanna be an okay. I get pissed,
0: very cool closing Sex Pistols, Anarchy in the UK.
4: Best Uh, band in Britain, you say. (laughs)
0: that was their first single God Save the Queen came out then and was probably more infamously banned um, but this is the better song and I wanted to lob in that Get Pissed Destroy because I still find it funny Um, it's just as funny as I did when I first heard it when I was seven probably Uh, superb kind of John Lydon trolling before he went all Trump supporter or whatever he's doing now which is again I suspect just more outrageous trolling um, but a bit more exhausting at this point but yeah this was like Huge. This was a huge moment. This was maybe proto-prodigy and more and everything they kind of released or did was clamped down on. Um, there was a record store manager that was arrested and charged with obscenity for displaying the album's cover. I think Richard Branson was their label head at the time and he had to go to court and argue that um, bollocks was actually old kind of English argot and it wasn't actually offensive and they could use it and he won that case. And yeah, this debut single was banned, after they appeared on some, I think it was ITV or Granada TV show today. It had been played on the radio for a bit, but they were swearing on TV. So they were then banished from the airwaves. And it created this momentum for their very brief, like, imperial phase where they had a legit target for their next release. It was God Save the Queen. It was bring down the monarchy stuff. It was just done kind of obnoxiously and ironically. And it got to number two in the UK It was the year of the Queen's Silver Jubilee. All those celebrations were going on. They tried to kind of hijack them um, by doing a thing on the Thames. They were arrested. The actual listing was blacked out on the charts. And there's this whole controversy or like, you know... There's talk that basically they sold enough copies to be number one, but the authorities wouldn't have it. So they were number two and you couldn't read what the title even was. And listen, Sex Pistols were kind of a manufactured boy band. They were kind of built for controversy. They weren't that great compared to other punk bands, I don't think. I think they're overrated, but what an impact. It was like, it was cobbled together ideas taken from, you know, Richard Hell and the Ramones, but it was such a kind of, such a moment. Um... <laughs> I guess in the end, ineffectual fun. Like nothing really changed, um, and probably a lot of the teenagers and blokes that were into them at the time are now full, yeah, Brexit and like lots of Union Jacks in their Twitter accounts and stuff. But you can't blame the song, Dave. <laughs> And this was the moment I banished Dave from the airwaves for disagreeing with me uh, on the sex pistols, cut his mic, unfortunately he had his phone handy. Um, no, no, this is the moment when Tree bars Dave became no bars Dave and had to resort to recording off his phone for the last bit in keeping with the chaotic nature of this
4: episode. David, can you hear us? Hey man, how's it going? <laughs> don't wanna don't attempt fate here, but this phone battery ain't looking too good either. So I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry. You need to buy I some didn't... batteries,
0: friends. Dipping into I'm that Patreon either, fund. Yeah, I,
4: I I will do that. I will either buy a month supply of batteries or I'll get a power supply, perhaps something more environmentally friendly. I'm sorry, I know this is significantly less good quality, but I'd have to run to the shop and it's <laughs> a quarter to nine, and Craig's a busy man. And is the shop even open? I don't know. Point is I'm sorry i've learned my lesson i flew too close to the sun it's all about learning lessons it's fine it's fine it's grand sex pistols never quite got it it's a great song let's do my number one so we can not subject the listening to too much of this audio <laughs> which i'm sure is still passable but i'm, I'm so sorry i'm so sorry i've never
3: felt so final someone find
4: Yes, it is, of course, everyone's favorite segment of No Encore. Dave gets to talk about Slipknot for a bit. On his my phone. number one. <laughs> on my phone. My number one band song this week is Purity by Slipknot. That's right, indeed. And as a matter of fact, while we're on the subject, if anybody uh, would like to sell me the first three Slipknot albums on Delicious Vinyl, you'll get me on Twitter at Hanbury Dave. I'm sure we can come to some sort of arrangement. Uh, it's fitting that I follow up the Prodigy Smack My Bitch Up with Slipknot Purity because. Again, the stuff of school ground legend. Uh, Slipknot, where a band that I stumbled upon when I was about fifteen, nineteen ninety nine, when the self-titled album comes out, is being passed around the classroom, and it was almost like, like I say, it was like a band VHS or something. Different time. So much mythos, and obviously, Slipknot's whole gimmick the imagery, the masks, the boiler suits, the what do they really do with their gigs filtering down to you through magazine articles, and so on. It was such a more interesting time, I guess. Very formative. I love them, and I, I, I we know I love them. And it's funny because I remember like my brother in law slacking me off for having their poster on my wall and mushroom head, they look ridiculous, but I was like, I don't fucking care if you get it, you get it, if you're into it, you're into it. And I really, really was this song, Purity. Whenever Corey Taylor, whenever they play it live, Corey Taylor always steps up to the microphone and says, this song is about a girl in a box. This song is called. Purity. And Purity wasn't initially on the album because it was taken off the album. It was banned from their debut album due to a lawsuit that the band had uh, with some weird website called Crime Scene. So when I first read it, when I first heard about this song, I was under the impression that it was about uh, a real-life murder, about a, a a girl by the name of Purity Knight who was kidnapped and buried alive. Horrific stuff. And, you know, the kind of stuff Slipknot were certainly into on their first record. Uh, turns out it wasn't real. Turns out it was one of those internet hoax stories that the band thought was real Corey taylor wrote this song for years they you know has the song puts it on the album and then the website which had no disclaimer saying it was a work of fiction got in touch and was like that's our copyrighted work you can't have it and then all of a sudden there was this massive lawsuit Corey Taylor has talked about it at q and He's talked about just the ridiculousness of the situation he found himself in, where he had to, you know, he was sitting in his old manager's house and he was, like, on a speakerphone uh, doing a testimony with a judge trying to get the copyright to it so they could release it eventually. Uh, here's a clip, itself not amazing audio, so once again fitting, of Corey Taylor just kind of, you know, talking to fans in 2011, trying to describe how absurd the situation was. Let's have a listen.
1: So... I'm trying to explain this to the judge, and every time I'm really getting into it, like I'm starting to relax, I'm feeling a little more confident about it, he's going (laughs) (laughs) Just this bodiless cough comes out of fucking nowhere. Uh, Yes, you're on (laughs) Jesus, fuck, is he (laughs) alright? And what I learned later was that he was writing shit down on a piece of paper. He was writing down my answers and then he was coughing. Because he was trying to keep himself from laughing at
4: me. Some of uh, Corey Taylor's patented charisma there as he leads the charge in front of an audience. And uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting and I guess very slipknot for, you know, to end up with this kind of slightly wholesome fun story about a song that has genuinely horrific subject matter. And certainly when he wrote it, he thought it was about real life, horrific subject matter. But again, in that slipknot way, it manages to lean in to both the really over-the-top devastation and the incredible kind of pop-style chorus that we heard there, it was eventually won back successfully via that lawsuit. The band were adjudged to have done no wrong, and Purity lives, even if there never was a girl named Purity Night. It's a great song, I fucking love it. Fucking love Slipknot. Still upset that I didn't get to interview that guy last year, but it'll happen someday. And uh, I'm going to just wrap it up now because I'm talking into my phone. (laughs) Just talking about things you love. (laughs) One beer in. Two beers in. (laughs) Two beers in. I'm at the end of the second canon. I feel great. All right. Happy choice night,
0: everybody. (laughs) (laughs) It's a choice episode. Um, Okay, from my number one, I think you could trace Slipknot back to this guy, this sound. You're talking about absurd. It doesn't get more absurd than this, funny. <laughs> Yeah, Link Ray with Rumble. Uh, one of the first songs to use the power chord. Um, really influential. People recognise it from Pulp Fiction. Um, It was the only instrumental ever to be banned from radio in the US, which is just phenomenal. So it's back in 1958, uh, Link Rays, just a guy, grew up in uh, North Carolina, had a horrendous upbringing uh, because his mother was a Native American and his family were just persecuted by the KKK. It was just awful where they, you know, the cops, the sheriff says the drugstore owner they were all kkk they put masks on if you did something wrong they tie you to a tree and whip you or kill you he dealt with all this kind of nonsense all of his life and just kind of took off became a musician and really focused on his craft and this song um came to the attention of a record producer at cadence records a guy called archie blair he hated it um, particularly after Ray had poked a pencil through the cone of his amplifier to make this kind of, it sound like more of a, a live version, which I think um, Dave Davies from the Kings did on You Really Got Me. It was just before the fuzz pedal, before you could actually do that, you just had to rip up your speakers. This was probably the first time it was done in recording. Anyway, Blair's stepdaughter loved it, so he was like, "Okay, there's something in it. Like the kids are down with this." So he he had some misgivings, but he's like, "Okay, let's just go with it." Um, she suggested the title "Rumble" because it had this rough sound. It sounded like a street fight. It reminded her of West Side Story and the gangs fighting in that. She's like, "Yeah, this would be a cool name for it." Went out, and because of the name. Because it like alluded to kind of street fights It was banned in kind of several U.S. markets. Uh, it was slang for uh, a gang fight. People were apparently afraid that the harsh sound would glorify juvenile delinquency. And then it became a hit. <laughs> it got to number sixteen, summer of nineteen fifty-eight, and yeah, hugely influential. Um, Link Ray had a bit of a career thereafter. Like he'd had such a tough time, as I said. He'd, he also like lost a uh, lung in the Korean War. And like the doctors were like, you're never going to be able to sing again. And then he creates like this most influential rock and roll instrumental of all time. And it gets banned. And yeah, he had quite a career. He ended up living in Denmark, I think. Uh, He was inducted into the Native American uh, Music Hall of Fame a couple of years back, uh, which was cool. Maybe we should start covering that instead of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't know. Um, We can expand maybe. But yeah, what a tremendous song. Banned as an instrumental. Had to be my number one
4: for the record I left out a story about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this week Craig just so that I wouldn't offend you <laughs> it. uh, yeah it, it's amazing how it all comes full circle incredible song I of course first heard it in Pulp Fiction for more of Dave's Tarantino influenced musical discoveries No Ox Chord 2 yes. is out now on patreon.com slash no encore phenomenal choice great top five I loved this one I love this episode not just because I've had two cans of beer and I've no tolerance <laughs> anymore because we don't know what going out is anymore but ultimately there are some weeks when I absolutely love doing this show and this is one of them. Um, thanks once again to Andrea Cleary for joining us. Congratulations once again to Denise Charlotte to Merle, to God knows, to all at Narrow Lane on their victory in the Choice Music Prize. Congratulations, of course, to our long suffering, always Choice Prize winning yes. Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan. And thank you, Craig, for uh, putting this one together this week. I Me? very much enjoyed it. Well, you put together the top five idea. Was it your idea or was it mine? I can't even remember. Who cares? The point is, <laughs> next week on the actually... show, well, self brace is Pat no yourself praise, on the Craig, back. So You've done the that's great it. thing. <laughs> I've done a bad thing. I'm holding my fucking phone in my hand. I'm sure Adam will make this sound very good though. That's what he does. But uh, will the Kings of Leon album sound very good next week? I don't know if it will, but we're gonna find out. It's out the same day as this podcast. So if you want to spend the weekend doing what we're doing and listening to the new Kings of Leon, feel free. Craig. <laughs> I'm
0: excited. <laughs> I'm holding out okay. hope. Return to form. That's what I'm saying. It's not going to happen Yeah now, obviously, obviously. We'll see.
4: And we'll have a top five, which may or may not be connected. We haven't decided yet. Uh, all right. I'm going to wrap it up. My name is David William Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And uh, yeah, stay safe out there. Let's all get pissed together in Vicker Street soon, I hope. Goodbye.
1: This podcast is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network.